tonight. I pray that he would instruct us, teach us, bring revelation into our lives. I ask God that we would put ourselves in a position to hear you and to learn from you and to receive from you what you have for us. I ask God that uh, as we've gathered in the name of Jesus, we would not only recognize or not only proclaim your presence, but actually enjoy and benefit from your presence and being uh, before you tonight. So God, I pray that uh, we would allow your Holy Spirit to have his way. We would allow your word to penetrate our hearts, our minds, our spirits. And I pray, Father, that we would respond to you as you challenge us, as you bring revelation, as you bring understanding, and as your words applied to our life. I pray, God, we would respond tonight and allow you to do the work that you want to do. So we offer ourselves to you. We ask God to have your way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai 1. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you need a Bible, located on the tables. Haggai chapter 1, and I need a volunteer to read verses 5 and 6. Haggai 1, 5 and 6. Now therefore, thus says the Lord hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag of holes. Alright. Thank you. And Haggai is prophesying, uh, this is, the people are just back from Babylon, uh, just out of the captivity, out of slavery in Babylon, and he is prophesying to the people as they return to Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And so that's what you're hearing here as part of that prophecy. And we're in chapter 1, so he's setting uh, really a thesis for what he's going to be prophesying about. That's the beginning of it. And the thesis of what he is prophesying about is uh, neglect for God. And that seems kind of funny because you have a people that have just been in captivity, just been in slavery for 70 years. Generations that were brought up in slavery, that they just got their freedom, they're back to their home in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas, and and they're neglecting God already. Wasn't that the thing that got them taken into captivity to start with? Well, yeah. 
It was a neglect of God. It was a neglect of His Word. It was a neglect of following after what He had for them. A neglect of, of, of really Him being central in their lives. And so, here they were just going about doing the same thing that had gotten them into the predicament that they had just gotten out of, they had just gotten deliverance from. And so Haggai is challenging them. And for good reason he's challenging them. And he says something here. He starts this off, he says, consider your ways. Or what does that mean though? Like He's talking about they need to really consider, they need to really reflect seriously on what they were doing. And there's a couple questions when we start to reflect seriously. These are the, the questions they needed to ask if they're going to reflect seriously. The first question is, is what I'm doing, is the decision I'm making consistent with God's ways? In other words, for what I know about God, from what my understanding is about God, the best that I know, are these decisions I'm making, are these actions I'm taking, is this consistent with God's ways? So that's number one. And so that's a good question to ask if we're going to consider our ways, if we're going to reflect seriously on where we're heading in life. That's a good question. And what I'm doing, the decision I'm making, am I consistent with what God is doing, what His ways are? The second consideration, second question you need to ask is, did it work? Now, in other words, I'm going a certain way. I've made a certain decision. I'm heading down a certain road. Well, is it working? That's another consideration. So, number one, is it consistent with God's ways? But number two, is it working? How's that working for you? And so those are valid questions, and they help us to, I think in a simple way, begin to understand what Haggai's trying to do in these guys' life. That they're, they're saying to them, you know, consider your ways. They take a look. Hey, whoa, from what you're doing. You know, they'd come back and they were working. They'd come back and they were planting fields. They'd come back and they were doing all of these things. He's like, well, you're busy, busy, busy. But, whoa, why don't you take a second here? Why don't you think about what's going on in your life? I mean, really, just think about it. Now, sometimes we get caught up in so much busyness. We get caught up in so many things that are pulling and tugging and, and calling and, and all the rest of the things that happen that we, we look at our lives and we say, all right, well, where'd the last, what, month go? You ever ask that? Where'd the last few weeks go? Where'd the last three months go? I thought it was still summer. What what just happened today, right? Where'd that go? And and it could be six months. It could be where'd the last year go? And kind of wondering about that. It's like, well, we need to consider our ways. And that's why Haggai's saying, he's like, hey, whoa, why don't you... Take a second, take a pause, and think about this. Think about decisions, think about your actions, think about what's going on in your life. Is it consistent with God's ways? And what would God's ways be? Well, it could be something He revealed to you. Are you following after His will for your life? Are you following after that word that He gave you? Are you following after what He showed you? Are you following after what He told you? And that ultimately is up to you to do. So if you have a word that God gave you and this is something He wanted you to do, He's instructing you to do, then that's on you to follow after that with your life. And you need to pause every now and then and say, am I in line with that or not? And that's a valid question. Am I in line with that? And it could be anything. It could be, you know, God spoke to you about you need to worship, or God spoke to you, oh, you need to write, or God spoke to you, you need to read, or God spoke to you, whatever it would be. You need to start this, or you need to do that, or you need to encourage that, or you need to practice this, whatever it is. I have no idea. But to bring yourself back and evaluate, self-evaluate every now and then, in other words, consider your ways every now and then, and it's like, well, where am I? And if you put it in that term, I want you to think about this for a second, in those terms, then that consideration of your ways needs to take place probably a lot more often than we would normally do it. Like we need to reevaluate, we need to reorientate probably a lot sooner than what we actually think of when we when it comes time to do this. I mean, if you think about it, you don't want to get that far off track, do you? You don't want to get that far off of what God has off of His ways for you. 
Because the further off you get, the harder it is to come back. The further off you get, the, the harder it is to redeem certain circumstances or situations that are still there. Maybe. And so it just makes it a harder process in our life of change, a harder process of life, in life of growth. That God's calling us. He's saying, hey, this, that, whatever it is, it's for our good. So we grow. It's for our good so that we can become more. So these people, they come out of the situation in, in Babylon and they come out of the captivity, they come out of slavery in Babylon and here they were free and immediately they, they make their way back across the desert, across the wilderness, back to Jerusalem, back to their home and they immediately get to work. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. The bigger issue is, what did God have for them, though? What were His ways? I mean, it, we, we, don't, we don't exist. I know this is going to be hard for some of us. We don't exist just to work at our jobs. That's not why we exist. Our jobs are a means to an end. In other words, we might work a job so that we can pay the bills. Great. We might work a job so that we can have a retirement or health insurance, whatever it is. That's all good. That's all valid. And it could be a means to an end. It usually is. But that's what it's supposed to be. But when that consumes our thoughts and consumes our life, we need to take a step back and really consider God's ways for us. And part of God's ways for us is that we're created a spiritual being. Part of God's ways for us is that we're created to worship. Part of God's ways for us is that we are created to have fellowship with Him. I mean, Adam and Eve, they, they had duties in the Garden of Eden. That stuff that they were supposed to do. But that never took any kind, that never trumped them spending time with God. It never got in the way of them fellowshipping with their Creator. It never got in the way of them spending time with Him in the cool of the day. That's just not how it worked. You know, it's one thing to have, you know, maybe something God provided for us, something that we're supposed to do. But when that begins to consume us and take away from our time with Him, something's out of whack. Something's out of balance. And that's what had happened to the people. They came back from Babylon, started just immediately replanting, trying to get things going in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem, and things got out of whack. That's just what happened. And so Haggai is trying to call them back. He's trying to call them back. I mean, a good question. Well, you know, when you ask the question, did it work? Well, are you happy? Did it work? Are you happy with the way things are? You know, did did you get rich? Is that what happened? You know, you read online that if you, you know, do X, Y, and Z, you work a job, but you get a second job and you put all that money away. And so three months later, you look at your bank account. Well, did you, did you make money? Did you got money put away or are you just spending it somewhere? Did it work? And you got to evaluate that. So you got no time for anything. You got no time for friends. You got no time for kinship. You got no time for anything, no time for God, no time for worship because you're working two jobs or a job and a half because you're right online that's how you make money. Well, check it out. You happy? Number one. Number two, you're rich. You know, most of the time when I talk to people, you know, they do these, you know, get rich things. And back in the day, people would try all kinds of stuff. I mean, I knew people that were all into this stuff. It never worked, really. It just didn't work. And so instead of like a consistency, instead of staying consistent with the job they have, instead of staying consistent with God, consistent with God's people, consistent with what God called them to, they end up running off doing something else. Well, it doesn't work. And so when you honestly ask the question, did it work? Well, sometimes there's measurable things. It'll tell you if it worked. You getting richer? No, then it didn't work if that's what you were trying to do. Are you happy? If, you, if you're the same as you were, well, that didn't work. All right, if you're trying to make yourself happy.
And so that's why we're encouraged to reflect seriously, seriously on our life every now and then. <coughs> to really think about where we're at. Because if you read this passage in Haggai 1, you read verses 5 and 6, what you see there, they describe what I'm going to call a spirit of poverty. It's a spirit of poverty that you see here. And and what does that look like? Well, what it looks like is what's described there. Your barns are empty even though you're trying to sow and reap. And so you got these harvests and you, you put all your time and your effort in these harvests, but your barns are empty. All right, That's what the spirit of poverty looks like. Spirit of poverty is I go to work every day, I work my butt off, and I got nothing to show for it at the end of the month. That's a spirit of poverty. Now, everybody can tell me why they don't have anything at the end of the month. Oh, well, I, you know, I got this, I got bills, I got this, you know, whatever. This came up or, or that emergency came up and I had to spend money on that. You know, I was just trying to save and then I had to spend it on that or this. Okay? And, and they'll explain to me why they don't have any money. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you're working your butt off, follow me here, and you're going to work and you're consistent with your work, and at the end of the month you've got nothing to show for it, you're under a spirit of poverty. You just are. And, and you can argue with me all you want about it. Well, you can win that argument. I'll, I'll concede. I will concede. Because I'm not going to argue with you about it. But you can continue to live in poverty. That's up to you. I'm just trying to bring something that might help you if that's your situation. And if you're finding yourself in this situation, because what you have here, if you go out and you work every day, because farmers have to work in order for it to happen. Now, I lived on a farm for over a year. And you got to work. I mean, that old man that I lived with, man, that guy was up at like 4 or 5 o'clock every day. And if he wasn't going out to the field to do work in the field, he was taking what we had packed up the day before out to market so they could sell it and make some money. All right? That's just hard work. And I'd see him in the wintertime. He'd take like two months off in the wintertime. And every time I saw him in the wintertime, he was taking a nap on the couch. Just about. And nobody woke him up, you know, because he worked hard. You want to be a farmer, you want to do that kind of stuff, you're going to work hard. And if you got nothing to show for, if your barns are empty, you got a spirit of poverty going on. It talks about what you eat, but your hunger's never satisfied. See, that's a spirit of poverty. It's us trying to meet our needs, and we do the stuff that we think we need to do to meet our needs, but at the end of the day, after we do all the stuff that we think that we meet our needs, we're still in need. Okay? So I'm gonna I'm hungry. So I'm gonna eat. So we eat, 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 eat. We get done eating. We get done. It's like well we're not satisfied. We still you know it's like I eat a hundred of those things. All right. And we get we get a hundred of them. We eat them. We're still hungry. You can't eat enough. You can't consume enough to satisfy you. That's a spirit of poverty. Talks about clothing. You got all the clothing. You get clothing. You put your clothing on, but your clothing is inadequate. You're still cold. And so what's being described there, that inadequacy of the clothing that we have, it's not like we don't have anything. We do have something. We have clothing. We put the clothing on, but the clothing doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And we're still cold. And so we look at that, and I want you to think about that in terms of a spirit of poverty. You got wine. You go out and you make it. You got the, the grapes that you grow. And you press the wine, you get all the wine that's made, but it's always too little. It's never enough. Never enough. You always run out. I hate running out of stuff. I hate it. Especially if I'm in the middle of something. I just hate running out of stuff. You know, I buy extra stuff so I don't run out. Because it makes me crazy. Especially if I'm in the middle of something, middle of a project, middle of working on something, I will take extra stuff with me so I don't run out. And what I do with the extra stuff, I stick it in my bag, my work bag. And then so if it comes up, oh, I need that. Okay. I use a little timer at the gym. The Gym Boss Plus. 
I use at the gym. All right, you know how many batteries I have in my car for that thing? Three. I have three batteries in my car for that. And I, and I switch them out every few months. Why? Because I want to run out of battery for the Gym Boss Plus. Because it makes me crazy. But it's like, you make it, you make it, you make it, but it'd be like if I had three batteries, I switch out every three months, and every time I go to use one, it's dead. Right? Yeah, you run out. It's the spirit of poverty. And and the, the general idea behind this, and this is what I said from the start, the spirit of poverty is marked, is marked by your expenses overtaking your labor. That's how it's marked. Your expenses overtake your labor. Nothing prospers. Now, I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying this is the condition that's being described here by Haggai. Haggai is describing to the people of Jerusalem. He's describing to the people that have come back from the captivity. And he's saying to them, this is your condition. And you really need to consider your ways. Because what were the two questions? Is it consistent with God's ways? Number one, are you being consistent with God's ways? Number two, is it working? And all he's doing here is pointing out, it's not working. It's not working. In other words, you're going out and you're planting and you're reaping. You're doing all of those things that you're supposed to be doing. You're working sun up to sun down and your barns are still empty. It's not working. You're, you're pressing wine and you're growing grapes and you're making wine. But when you go to drink it, it just runs out. It's not working. You're making clothes. You're shearing the sheep and you're making your clothes out of wool. But when you wear them and it's cold out, you're still cold. They're not working. None of this is working. And he wants them to see that. He wants them to hear that. He wants them to take hold of that for their lives so that they can change. That's the whole reason behind this. He wasn't making fun of them. He wasn't judging them. He wasn't telling them, hey... You know, you guys are losers because you can't make things work out. He's not saying that at all. He's giving them the opportunity to recognize what's going on and to see change in their life. Because that's how God works. That's consistent with God's ways. He wants us to change. He doesn't want to keep hurting ourselves. He doesn't want us to keep living in the spirit of poverty. He doesn't want us to keep just, you know, barely or not making ends meet. That's not his desire for us. But his desire is that we have what we need, and we're taken care of. I mean, he describes himself as the God who provides for his people. And he does. He does, however he chooses to do it. You think about Jesus and the disciples, I mean, their needs were provided for. As they traveled around and as they, they went about the work that the Father had called him to, Jesus' needs were provided for. It's the way it was. The disciples' needs were Provided for. I mean, when Jesus needed to pay the temple tax, well, how, how did he provide? What happened? Anybody remember that story? Yeah, the fish. They go out and catch a fish. He looked in his mouth. There it is. There's enough for me and enough for you. Thanks a lot. Right. And, and I know that, okay, all right, well, that was supernatural. Yeah, well, we serve a supernatural God. We serve a God that multiplies things. We serve a God that does things that that we can't understand. I mean, you want me to explain certain things, I can't explain them. I mean, you talk to me all day, or I can talk to you all day about the tithe. Alright? How does the tithe work? Well, it just works. Well, why? I don't know. Because you're obedient. Well, no, no. I mean, how does it work? If you if you give out a certain amount of money, I mean, how you recoup that? You're 10% down right from the start. How's that ever going to work? I don't know. It does. It does, and I am convinced it does. I mean, I, it's been proven out. I mean, that, that stuff's been proven out in my life for over 40 years now. And that works. That thing works. And, and you can tell me it's not going to work. You can show me on a piece of paper, okay, well, you're starting at only 90%, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. 
And maybe on your piece of paper it doesn't work, but let me ask you two questions. Is it consistent with God's ways? Yeah, He told us to. Is it working? Yes. That's all I need to know. Alright? That's considering my ways. Is it working? Yeah. Is it what God told me to? Yeah. I'll keep going. And and how many people have I met that their finances are completely out of whack? And and they're going to be out of whack. I don't care if they got the 10% in or 20% or 30%. They're still out of whack. They're out of order. They're out of God's ways. Is it working? No. No. Well, so we have an opportunity to change. Because bottom line is that what Haggai was talking about, he's talking about a spirit of poverty. Well, the spirit of poverty results from selfishness. That's how it happens in us. We get selfish. We And that selfishness can be different forms. We get to look at, well, we're, we're worried about this or we're concerned about that or, or we have fear of this or whatever, but it all stems from the same selfishness in our lives. And so this selfishness will encourage us toward neglecting God and His Word. That's just how it works. And you get these ideas, like you meet people, oh, good intentions. What do good intentions get you? Nothing. Nothing. Because talk is cheap. Well, I, I, I figure I intend to do that. Well, if you intend to do it, then do it. Then do it. What does Yoda say? Do or do not. There is no try. Yeah. Yeah. Wisdom from a puppet. There it is. Alright? A little Muppet there told us, gave us some wisdom. But it's the same wisdom you see all through the Scriptures in that it's like good intentions. Well, good intentions, yeah, but no. It didn't happen. Well, I, I wanted to do it. Well, if you wanted to do it, then you'd do it. Just how it is. And and you know what? Your ways, when the Bible talks about consider your ways, your ways lead somewhere. And they wouldn't be ways. And so you can't think of a, this as like an individual action only. Because it's not an individual action. See, this is us making decisions about our direction. This is us making decisions about our ways. In other words, not a mistake. Not something that we just, oh, we neglected. Not something we forgot about. Not something that was a one-off and that was it. But this is actually our ways. And our ways actually go somewhere. And we need to recognize that. And when we make choices, selfish choices, and we consistently make those choices, it goes somewhere. And it's probably not where we want to go. It's probably not where we thought we were going to go. It's probably not where somebody promised us we were going to go. And we follow after those ways and they lead to somewhere. Whether it's poverty, depression, fear, inaction, I don't know, somewhere. They're going to lead somewhere. Because that's why it's a way. See? It's a way. Which way did he go? That way. He's going that direction then. And it goes to wherever's over there. So, I'm going to look up some verses. Somebody look at Hosea. Hosea, chapter 4 and verse 10. You can read them. Alright. Now, again, Hosea is prophesying to a people that are neglecting God. And in what he's saying there, that he's using that term prostitution, but I want you to think about, what does a prostitute do? Well, she sells herself. And he's saying, if you're selling yourself out for what? doesn't matter what. Money? Power? Relationship? 
You're selling yourself out for something, okay? And that's what he's saying there. If you're going to engage in the way of selling yourself out, well, then you're going to have a spirit of poverty on you. That's it. And it's not just in Haggai. You see it in Hosea. What about Micah? Micah 6.14. Again, Micah prophesying. All these guys are fairly contemporary as far as who they're speaking to. And they're speaking to a people that are neglecting God. That's what they're doing. A selfish, selfish people. Alright, let's go to the New Testament. Luke 12. Luke 12, 33. Alright, so Jesus is giving us how you do it. And how you do it isn't selfishness. How you do it is generosity. How you do it is giving of what you have and, and, and being generous with what you have and that's how you do it. That you build up a treasure in heaven that can't be touched by any of the threats or any of the things that uh, can take away things that we have here. It can't be. And so it's, an, it's a choice. It's an investment choice that I'm going to invest in eternity. I'm going to invest in things that matter. I'm going to invest in how God does things. I'm going to invest in the way that God directs me. And so when we make that kind of a choice, that releases us from any spirit of poverty, but also puts us in a place of God's blessing. Whether in this life or the next, we're in a place of God's blessing. And that's just a fact. You see, part of the idea of selfishness is the idea of a misplaced priority in our life. Because misplaced priorities are a big issue in that it depends on who's first in your life. You think about, it's like me first attitudes. That's a misplaced priority. At the top of your priority list, me. Okay, that, that's a little bit misplaced, a lot misplaced. And you think about the idea behind that, and you hear people say things, well, i got all this stuff to do right now, and I'll get around to God when I have a little more time. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That just doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen that you get around to God when you got more time or when it's convenient. Because I don't know when it's ever convenient. I don't know how that happens where we think, well, this is just going to be a convenience. Now, when I worked with the student populations, uh, and I was, I was talking to, I think, Patrick about this the other day, and the idea behind it was is that I ran a ministry on, I don't know how many campuses, uh, Fredonia, I, I ran that ministry, Kim took that over, I ran, a Fredonia, uh, I ran a ministry at Syracuse, I ran a ministry at Cornell, and not one place where I ever ran a ministry did students ever just have enough time to come to my meetings, all right? Didn't happen. In other words, Syracuse University, they, they get the students in at the beginning of the semester and, and they just tell them, they scare them, right? At the beginning of the semester, it's like, you got to put 100% into this class. You need to put in four hours a night on this class. Well, every class says that. What, you put in 20 hours a night? There's not 20 hours in the night. So, so but, but I mean, it's like that kind of a, an attitude. And so, specifically at Syracuse and at Cornell, there was never time. Never time. And there wasn't going to be time. And I'd run into the kids that would come in, that they came in as Christians, and they'd give me that line all the time. They're like, well, I'll just get to it when, you know, like after I'm out of school and everything's easier. It's easier? And so I constantly had to challenge this idea in people. Constantly in the student population. 
challenging this idea. Oh, I'm going to get around to God. Really? Yeah, number one, that's messed up. That's just messed up, number one. You don't get around to God. Okay? Yeah, you just don't. You don't get around to Him. No, no, that's not how He works. That's not how anything works. That's not how life works. And so, that that's number one. So we're not just going to get around. So I'll get around to God, but not yet. You know, just not yet. Well, yeah. yeah. And so what happens is when you hear that attitude, our true reason for being, if we live in that attitude, is left undone. And any Christian that lives in that attitude, like, oh, yeah, yeah, God, God, but later. Not yet. Yeah, their true reason for being is being left undone because of that. Because of that. And that's kind of sad. And it's no way to live. And it's no way to to grow in our relationship with Jesus. It's no way to foster any deeper relationship with Jesus. In fact, what we have, we're going to lose if that's our attitude. Because it's just a, a neglect that things just begin to fall by the wayside. It's just how it is. You know, I came to know Jesus. I was in a really rigorous program. And and that program required tons of studying every single day. It just did. I And I'm a terrible memorizer. And I had to study and, and I had to spend time and I had to read and and all of these things, but I, and I was taking like so many credit hours a semester or whatever it was. And there was never any time per se like that. When I came to know Jesus, something snapped in me. I was in the middle of a semester and something snapped in my head, something snapped in my spirit. It's like, this is more important than that. You know, and that's what priority means. You get that? And so something has to snap in us that this, God, is more important than that, whatever it is. And to be able to make that kind of a decision. That He's just more important. He was more important. His Word was more important. His will for my life was more important. And you know what? That was correct. Because... That rigorous course of study that I was studying at the time, I'm not doing that now. I never did that. Ever. I never spent one day, I never spent one hour doing what I was studying at that time. But I've spent countless, thousands of hours doing what he had for me, and it was right from the start. See, that was correct. And so we have to find ourselves in the right priority, to make the right decision. This is more important than that. This is more worthy of my time than that. This is going to be something I'm going to put effort into and not that. And being able to make those kind of decisions in our life. Just to be able to do it. i got some verses for you. Let's go Psalm 16.11. Psalm 16.11. Alright, so God makes known to us the path of life. What I call that earlier? Consider your ways. Right. And so it's, He's making it known to us. He's giving us direction. He's giving us the way. We just have to be willing to accept that. Willing to look at that and say, yeah, that's more important than my way. Jeremiah 21.8 Jeremiah twenty one eight. Furthermore, O people, this is what the Lord says: See, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. Consider your ways, and that there, Jeremiah, he's, he's making it plain. He's like, I'm going to set before you two ways. 
You have the way of life and the way of death. You need to consider your way. We need to consider our ways. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with reevaluating every now and then, look and say, where am I? Is it working? Is this consistent with God's, what, what His way is? Is this consistent? Okay. Then good. Am I, am I achieving life? Am I, am I gaining life? And is it life giving the ways that, that I'm pursuing? Is that life giving in my life? Or am I slowly dying inside by pursuing this? Which is it? You gotta consider your ways every now and then. And so we can look at that and say, was it working? Well, am I, is it life giving? Or am I dying? Yeah. I'll tell you if it's working or not. Proverbs 6.23 Proverbs 6.23 All right, so God's way, if we're going to consider our ways, then if we're going to be in God's way and we're going to be in that life-giving way, there's going to be correction and instruction in our life. So in other words, we're not going to make all the right decisions. That's why we have to reevaluate all the time. We have to put ourselves in a situation where we're looking and we're saying, is this God's ways? Is this life-giving? Is this death-giving? What's going on here? Did it work? And we put ourselves in a position to be corrected. We put ourselves in a position to be challenged. We put ourselves in a position to receive some discipline in our life and and some movement toward a different thing. It's okay. It's good. Because that's the only way we're really going to pursue the way of life. Because we're imperfect and we make bad decisions. and Sometimes selfishness creeps in or whatever happens to us. But if we'll honestly pause every now and then and ask the questions, we put ourselves in a position to be corrected. I mean, every now and then you got to check the map. Alright, you just do. Or the GPS or whatever. Every now and then. If you're just walking with your eyes closed and got your head down, Every now and then you got to check and see if you're still on the course. Because maybe you missed a turn. Who knows? And so we check again and we receive a course correction. We go back if we have to. We backtrack and then catch the turn. Or we find it you know, or we're led a different way. But we get to where we were going. But we need to correct the course, the way. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's God's plan for us. You know, you look at correction and you look at discipline as really bad things, but they're really good things. It's like every time it's like, all right, well, this is for you. This is for your life. This is for your happiness. This is for your hunger. This is for what God wants to provide in your life. And it gives us the opportunity to put ourselves in the position to receive it. It's a good thing. And we have to change the way we perceive that or change the way that we've seen that in the past to see it as a good thing. Instead of this bad thing, well, Lord had to correct me on that. Thank God He did. Thank God He did correct you and He got you back on the course. I mean, what's worse than that? Wandering off to nowhere. That's what's worse than that. That's what really is worse than anything. It's just not, you know, finding your way, but then getting off course. And now you're putting yourself in a position to get it fixed. Okay, Proverbs ten seventeen. Somebody else. Proverbs ten seventeen. Yeah, who gets the way of life? Embrace the discipline. Listen to the instruction. That's the way of life. So what are our ways? 
Well, our ways, if we're evaluating our ways, we need to reflect seriously. Ask the question, is this God's ways? Is it working? What do you say, God? Look around. Let Him bring the correction. Let Him bring the discipline into our life to get us back on the good way, the life-giving way. That's what He desires. That's what He has for us. That's how this works. That's the plan. Well, I don't like that. Well, that's too bad. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, maybe your parents were mean to you, and so you don't like to be disciplined. I'm sorry. But, but God's not your parents. That's not who He is. And and maybe your dad was mean because you messed up and you were never allowed to make a mistake. Well, that's not God. That's not God. This is, this whole process is put into place for our good and for our benefit. And the fact that He's willing to consistently, when we ask Him, just say, God, am I still on course? Am I, is it, you consider your ways. And let Him change your course a little bit. Let Him correct you. Let Him discipline you. You'll be better off. It's a positive thing in our life when we receive correction and discipline. A positive thing. Puts us on the way of life. Okay, Proverbs 16.25. Yeah, and, and there there you have it, alright? That's that pride that you look and you say, oh, this seems like the way. You know, it'd be like me. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm really good with numbers and mathematics and physics. So the way it should be is I should be an engineer, okay, because that makes sense to me. It made sense to my dad. He encouraged me that way. And it made sense to my guidance counselor in high school. And it made sense to everybody. All my professors in college, they're like, oh, you're definitely in the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, except for it wasn't God's way. It seemed right. You got that many things. Like, my dad's happy. I'm happy. I love this stuff. My professors are happy. Everybody's happy. My guidance counselor's even happy. Everybody's happy. Except for it wasn't the right way. It just wasn't. It seemed right. It just wasn't. And I'm only using that as an example because certain things can come up and they seem like, oh, that's exactly the way you're supposed to go. Well, maybe it's not. And that's why we have to stop and say, hey, consider my way. Is it consistent with what God is saying? Is it consistent with His ways? And I knew it wasn't. And so we needed a correction. Even though everybody, I mean, freaked out when it was time to correct that course, I'd rather God be in the middle of that life-giving course than everybody else being happy. Because in the end, that course just led to death for me. And I didn't want to die. I didn't want to live in that kind of death. I didn't want to live in that kind of half-life that, that happens when we end up just doing our own thing. And so I just want to say that it's not always the obvious thing. It's just not. Because sometimes being consistent with God's ways is taking a subtle thing. Or taking a thing that nobody else sees but He knows. And allowing Him to minister that into our heart and our spirit so that we know. And putting ourselves in that position to do that. Okay, somebody look at First Timothy 5.21. First Timothy five twenty one. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, keep these instructions without partiality, and do nothing out of favoritism. All right. And so what Paul is instructing Timothy on there is that when you have God's will, you have God's way. You have a direction in your life. You can't allow 
All right, you can't allow things of this world to get in the way, even other people. You just gotta go about what he's got for you. Just gotta go about it. Whether people like it or they don't like it. Whether people think it's the right thing or they don't think it's the right thing. Whether people agree with it or they don't agree with it. We've got to hold on to what God has for us. And not always depend on the opinions and whatever else somebody else says. I mean, people ask me my opinion all the time about things. There are certain things I just don't answer. Because it doesn't matter. And I don't answer because it really, really doesn't matter. If you need to make a decision and you need to step up in your life, then do it. Don't depend on my answer to that question or anybody else's. Take hold of what God has for you and you begin to move forward with that. that that's what He has. Last thing I want to talk to you about is the results, the spirit of poverty results from selfishness, it results from misplaced priorities, and it also results from God not being preeminent in our lives. And that word preeminent is a word that talks about being over everything. So if we have priorities in our life, He's over everyone. We've got a list Things that are most important, one, two, three. He's not number one on the list. He's over the whole list. That's what being preeminent means. And it's the idea of neglecting God's rule in our life. And and what happens is when God is ruling in our life, when God is over all of our life, then things begin to change. Now, what does that look like if God's not preeminent? Well, it's us spending more time and money for our own affairs than for His. That's what it looks like. It's us doing whatever we want to do instead of what He has for us. It's us knowing His Word and knowing what He has for us and just ignoring it or pretending it's not there or explaining it away. Well, what God really meant was, no, that's not what He really meant. He just meant what he said. And anytime I hear that, well, what God really meant, well, that that's a bad way to start a sentence or an idea or an expression. Because it puts us in a bad situation where we're just going to disobey, period. That's it. That's what that leads to. What God really meant was you're going to disobey. That's what's going to happen. And so he needs to be preeminent over our lives. And I'll tell you something, the idea of duty, D-U-T-Y, duty. The idea of duty is that duty is what we must do. And I, I think sometimes we try to soften language a little bit to make people feel okay. And I don't want to really soften it right this second. I just want you to hear this, is that we have a duty to act on what God tells us. And duty is what we must do. Now, I know you don't like that. You like it softer than that. But that's really the word if we're going to stay in God's ways. We're going to live a life where it works. These people in Haggai, specifically what they had done, is that they had come back to Jerusalem. They were supposed to rebuild the temple. That's what they are supposed to do. But they were consuming everything they produced on themselves. And it still wasn't enough. And so the poverty they thought to prevent is brought upon them. Just is. You know, reading through some of the commentaries and see things like, well, God is punishing them. No. I don't believe that. Well, God is withholding his blessing. I don't believe that either. All I see this as is these people put themselves in a position to live 
under a spirit of poverty. They knowingly put themselves in that position. And so they did. And I want to encourage you not to do that. Because I don't see this as a matter of, of, you know, of punishment or whatever. I don't see it that way at all. All I see it as a matter of us putting ourselves in the right position. To, to evaluate, to self-evaluate, to consider our ways and to put ourselves in a position where God just blesses and He provides and He does what He does. That's our choice. And I want to choose that. I want to choose that for my life. I want to choose to be in the position of God blessing me and providing for me and taking care of me. That's what I want to put myself in a position of. It's one thing for me to to jump up and down and claim it and proclaim it and all the rest of that kind of stuff. It's another thing for me to actually put myself in a position to receive it to actually receive it and to live in it. And I believe that's the position God has for us. That's the position He wants us to be in. That's the position that Haggai is trying to bring these people in Jerusalem back to. And we know eventually they did. They did. And they got it done. And they recognized their duty and they did it. But that put them in a position from underneath a spirit of poverty. And so I want to encourage you toward that. Hear the word of the prophet tonight. It's a strong word. It's a powerful word. And as we read in Hosea, we read in Micah, it was more than one prophet proclaiming this word to them. This is a message. A message that Jesus then proclaimed in his teachings. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, just your love and provision over our lives. I thank you, God, that you make a way for us. And, and that, God, you've given us the words of life, the ways of life. You speak them. You show it. God, your word is clear about it. And I just want to say thanks for that. I want to say thanks that we, we serve a God who takes care of his people. And that you love us and that you have the best for us. You just do. Whatever the, the best may be or look like, that's not for us to decide. That's yours. That's yours, God. So tonight, I pray that we'd put ourselves in a better position. We'd put ourselves in a position that would be under your blessing, a position under your provision, a position, Lord God, where we find ourselves in the midst of your love and your grace over our lives. I pray, God, that you would break selfishness over us, yeah. Just break it. <coughs> I pray, God, that you would realign and bring order to our priorities. And I pray, Jesus, that you would be preeminent over everything. Preeminent in our lives. Preeminent over our decisions. Preeminent over all the things that are taking place right here and right now, rise up, God, and be God over us and over my life. I pray a breaking of the spirit of poverty over people as decisions are made, choices are made, and as the ways that we have chosen begin to move into your ways. I pray you'd break that spirit of poverty and set us free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. We give you thanks tonight.
You're God who provides. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. All right, good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You're home, yeah. 